Hello, and welcome to the Talking About podcast, brought to you by ARU's Counselling and Wellbeing team. Talking About is a space to openly discuss the topic of wellbeing and mental health in a way that puts our students' thoughts and feelings at the forefront. My name is Julie Webb, and I'm a counsellor with the Counselling and Wellbeing team. I'm joined today by Joyce Levins, a recent graduate of ARU and a social media champion for our peer wellbeing mentors. In this episode, we're going to be talking about making anxiety productive. Hi, Joyce. Hello, Julie. How are you? I'm good. Good to see you here today. You too. I'll just give an introduction to me just in case that anybody might know who I am. My name is Joyce and I'm a graduate of ARU. Um, I graduated um, with a degree in film and media studies and I work alongside the peer wellbeing mentors. Um, to just help spread awareness of their presence um, on social media, um, as well as like promoting services and resources to ARU students. Excellent. And I'm Julie, and I'm one of the counsellors with the Counselling and Wellbeing team. So it's good to sit here with you today discussing anxiety. Yes, I am super excited for this conversation and I'm ready to just dive deep. Um, the title is quite interesting. Um, and in hindsight, just looking back to my university experience, whenever I'd feel anxious, um, whether that was like before an exam or days leading up to a presentation, um, I would never thought of anxiety being able to work in my favor. Um, so that title, like um, anxiety um, and making anxiety productive was quite intriguing for me. But before we dive into that, um, could we just start with what anxiety is and why it occurs? I will just mention the title, though, because I think you're right. It's provocative, isn't it? Um, it's making us question right from the get-go. Um, and in terms of what anxiety is, what I don't want to do is underestimate or belittle how um, debilitating anxiety can be. So I think that's really important to kind of hold that in the frame. But we have, you know, two ends of the spectrum, in a way. We have what we might call a nervousness. And that used, that's the old-fashioned word for anxiety. So we have a nervousness at one end of the um, spectrum, which, you know, before an exam or a job interview, you know, there you are, I've just swallowed. So we get the swallow, we get the nervousness, don't we? Because I want to get it right. So there's a kind of pressure on us to get something right. Um, we want to perform well, we want to be heard well. If it's a job interview, we want to get the job at the end of it because actually it really matters to the next stages of our life and how that's going to unfold. So there's meaning attached to nervousness that I think is really, really important to hold on to. The other end of the extreme, of course, of anxiety is panic. And that's when anxiety and nervousness has kind of escalated to such an extent that it's so debilitating, maybe we don't go out. Maybe we can't breathe. Maybe we drop to our knees. Maybe we're, you know, crying or, you know, getting a little hysterical, you know, so it can be really debilitating. And, and, and I don't want to underestimate that. But even that, I think, we can also do something with. So what is it then? Um, anxiety is an experience. And the bottom line is, is an experience of fear. We're frightened. And we tend not to use that word so much. We don't say I'm frightened or I'm scared. We tend to say 
I'm anxious or I've got anxiety. You know, we have six-year-olds turning up for counselling saying, I've got anxiety. Where's that language come from? And it's spoken about as though it's a thing from the outside that we've just acquired, like a medical condition. And anxiety is not a medical condition. It's a human experience. And there's not a person on the planet that doesn't experience it because it's fear. And that's inbuilt. Wow, that is, I'm even just now learning a lot. Wow, it's, it's built, it's within us, you know. And even right now, I'm feeling anxious, but you're making me just embrace it. And it's understanding that it's okay to have this, this feeling. Um, and it's also interesting how you um, were able to kind of separate the two um, or you um, like this, the nervousness part of anxiety and also the panic. You know, I never really looked at it that way. Um, so that is quite interesting. So I've definitely experienced anxiety as a student, but I would love to know what are some of the topics that students have brought to you regarding anxiety? In, in student life, I'm, I mean, you're probably best placed to tell me that, um, you know, as a recently graduated student. Um, but again, that will be on that kind of continuum that there may be exam stress, which I want to say is perfectly normal. And at almost necessary because it kind of sharpens our mind the adrenaline that rushes through the body you know can also make us really really sharp Um, but students also may present in crisis when actually too many things are going on and there is too much fear and often that taps into a sense of self-confidence self-esteem there may be trauma um, somewhere in the background And actually, trauma is an interesting one because that means anxiety kind of builds layer upon layer as we go through life. Um, And and I think that's something really important to acknowledge. What starts off as quite mild can actually escalate to something that feels quite catastrophic. So in terms of students presenting with anxiety, there's a whole range. But it's also the ordinary human stuff um, of anxiety. And if we look at fear which is its base, and how the body itself produces that. We have two glands either side of the brain called the amygdalas. They're like little almonds, almond shape. And they're like the sensory glands. They kind of sense the atmosphere and and they take in information for us and kind of warn us that we might have to be on our guard. So, you know, you walk into a room and it all goes silent and you think everybody's talking about me. You know, the amygdalas are like, well, they're off. And that sends information to the rest of the body. So you might alter your breathing. Um, Your heart rate might rise. You might get sweaty palms. You know, if you're anything like me, your knees kind of wobble a little bit. Um, But it's an, an alert. It's information. It's telling us something doesn't feel quite right and you might need to be aware. Um, now that's perfectly normal. And when we, you know, developed as human beings with this, that was perfectly um, not just normal, but necessary because we might have to fight our way out of something, you know, there's a lion in the corner of the room with its mouth open, salivating, ready to eat you. You might need to run. But often that's not what we're doing now with anxiety. Anxiety has kind of gained a momentum which has taken on a sense of its own almost personhood. 
So now we all accept that we kind of have it, but all these narratives have got attached and it's got really big, I think. Um, So our biggest fear, it seems to me, in what I hear in the counselling room is fear of judgment. So how is this other person or these other people going to judge me? You know, if I'm in a lecture and I want to answer a question or if I've got something to contribute, you know, it's really hard to hear the sound of your own voice sometimes. And here we are sat here doing this and like our voice is like pretty loud in our ears, isn't it? It's shocking to hear. And if you're sat in a lecture, you know, with 25, 30 other people, but you've really got something to say, there's an awful lot of battle going on inside. You know, if I say it, how is it going to be heard? Will it be the right answer? If it's the wrong answer, how am I going to feel? What are other people going to judge me like? And and when people look at us, you know, if you've ever sat at the back of a lecture theatre and answered a question and had everybody turn around, you know, you just want the floor to open up sometimes. So that's just a simple example, I guess, of the narratives we bring in with anxiety. This feeling of fear where our body is said, you know, there's something going on here, pay attention. And then we bring in all these narratives and add to it. And before we know where we are, we've written a whole, you know, drama for BBC. (laughs) (laughs) That's so true. As you're speaking, I'm just reminiscing to my days at university and I can totally agree just I can just remember myself sitting in the lecture hall and wanting to answer a question, but just being too anxious to, you know, even ask the question or answer the question. And then again, going back and forcing my mind like, OK, what if it's wrong or, you know, what if I mess up or I stutter? So it's like all these back and forth in my mind. And before I know it, class is over and then it's or or another student asks the question, you know, so it's. It's uh, interesting. Um, I just, I just love how you're, just how you're, as you're speaking, I'm just taking it off in my mind the moments where I've experienced anxiety without knowing that it was anxiety. Because for me, when I think of anxiety, I just, I think of the extreme, like the panic attacks. But I, I didn't think of it in, you know, normal everyday situations like the classroom situations. So can I ask that um, with this? anxiety right like um in student life um if a student is experiencing anxiety as we've just mentioned um whether that is you know in the classroom setting um um, anxious to even ask a question or maybe it's leading up to a presentation how is it that they can make that anxiety uh be like productive in a way like how can they work with the anxiety because you were saying that it is like an alert right so how can students take that um, and go into university life with that mindset? That's a great question. Um, I think what's really important to understand as well is that we have to practice. So anxiety can also become a habit because it's also sometimes just learned experience. You know, we teach children, don't we, not to put their hand in the fire. So then the child kind of grows up that, well, fire and heat is dangerous. So, so it's already learned how to do that. Um, and we grow up with these little fears, but they can also be counteracted. So um, I, I'm just thinking about, I can give you an example, if you like. Um, a while ago, we had a spate of bad weather, haven't we? And all that snow. 
Now, I had booked a day's leave and I'd got lots of errands I really needed to get done that day because I couldn't get them done any other time. And I get up to five, six inches of snow. And my immediate reaction is the thud in the belly, you know, just drops. My mind's racing with thoughts of I'm going to have to cancel the whole day. So you can hear there the either or, which is often what we do. It kind of becomes an either or scenario. You can either do it, you can't do it. And this is what happens for all of us when anxiety kind of bubbles. And for students in particular, I think when that, when particularly if levels of anxiety are really starting to increase because it's touching on so many areas of their experience in university life. So um, I sat down with a cup of tea and I thought, okay, rather than writing the day off because I really only got this day, what do I do? What can I do? Because I've got this experience in my body and this conflict going on of I'm feeling scared. What am I scared of? driving in the snow, you know, and there's all the warnings, you know, so they're kind of exacerbating my fear. But I've got this battle going on because I've also got stuff that I, I want to get done and that I need to get done. So if there were no battle, it'd be all right, I could just stay in. But there's stuff that I want to get done that matters and I have a window of opportunity to get it done. So what am I going to do with this fear? So what did I do? Well, I just messaged a friend who I knew was going out that morning to drop her children off at nursery and just said, what are the roads like? She says, you know what, the main roads are fine. The little roads are kind of a bit dodgy, so be careful there. I live semi-rurally, so I thought, okay, what are my roads like? How am I going to find that out? Well, I put my wellies on and I go outside and I have a look and I do what errands I can do in the village. So I've adapted now my plan to the situation. And I think that's really important. Anxiety is also situational. What is going on around me? And I think if students can take that breath to just check out, okay, what is actually happening around me now that might be informing this experience that I'm having? So I check out the roads and I can see the roads are clear and the traffic is flowing and I think, right, okay, I'm going to get in the car and off I go and I do my errands. And you know what? It's a real sense of achievement afterwards. And it's a little win, isn't it, for me? Because I felt scared. I had a battle going on, but I managed to get through that. There's um, a really interesting um, concept from the philosopher Aristotle. So in the Nicomachean Ethics, um, there's something called the golden mean. And he looks at all these character traits of human beings. So if we take courage, and again, I'm going I'm to talk about that kind of spectrum, the, the continuum. So if we take the concept of courage, on one end, we have cowardice, which is a horrid word, isn't it? So I'm also going to talk about paralyzing shyness, because I think that that feels far more human than the cowardice, which feels really judgmental. But on the other hand, we have foolhardiness and recklessness. So I could have not thought about anything and just dived in the car and got myself, you know, buried in a foot of snow and had to call on emergency services, etc. That's reckless. That's not checking anything out. It's also not attending to myself. What is going on for me? You know, what, and what is important to me? So our, our ideal, I guess, is to get to the midpoint, which in this case was, if we want to call it courage, that, you know, in this concept, then that's what it was. But I think students can do the same thing. Take that breath. I'll always come back to the breath. Look at my situation. What can I do? What is important to me? What's safe to do? 
what support do I need? You know, I phoned a friend, didn't I? So, you know, there is support. Now, there are lots of other professional tools that I can also talk about. So if you engage with the counselling service or even if you went onto any um, uh, platform, media platform, um, and you, anyone that's kind of been through any psychological services might have heard of something called cognitive behavioural therapy, CBT. And that can be a quite complex system, but actually it can also be a very, very basic system. And I think if we're trying to teach ourselves to understand what is happening for us in any given moment, then this is a really um, good way, I think, to analyse, if you like, and work with and recreate um, the experience that we're having. So CBT, its very basic premise is working on what we'd call an ABC model. So the A would represent an activating event. So for me, if we take that example that morning, the event was I'd got to get in the car to do all my errands. Then I have some beliefs, there's the B, about the event. Well, on that morning, my beliefs were I'm frightened, I'm going to break down, I'm going to get stuck in a foot of snow, I'm going to have to call the emergency services, you know, et cetera, et cetera. You can, you can hear the catastrophizing, can't you? The picture that I've created. And, you know, all those beliefs increase my fear. That's what happens for us. And then the C are the consequences, which is our behaviour. So what do I do about that? Well, if I've built the story up and my beliefs to such an extent that it feels catastrophic, well, the consequences are that I might drop to my knees, be in floods of tears, hide under the duvet, not turn up for a lecture. You know, if I'm a student, I might not go. I might be catastrophizing, saying, actually, I can't do this. I'm going to quit my course. You know, there's, there's a whole host of things where our behavior follows what we believe about a particular situation. So our task is we need to dive into the beliefs, dive into the feelings and let's find the evidence to support that life is going to be catastrophic with this situation. And often there is little or no evidence. I mean, you know, the only evidence I had that I might get stuck in a foot of snow was there was a foot of snow outside the door, okay? Can I rethink it? So I did. I rethought it. Now we can write all that down and I really urge students and clients all the time to engage in the written word and I don't mean laptops. I mean picking up a pen and writing because that does something, you know, activates that right part of our brain. You know, we engage in the creative side of ourselves which taps into our emotions which are really important because that's what we're engaged with. Write down the worst thing that can happen the best thing that can happen to give your brain the opportunity to think something good and look at all the bits in between because then we gain a different perspective. And, you know, psychologically, when we put things down on paper in that way, we gain a psychological distance from the situation. And that in itself feels a little better because, I'm, you know, I'm a bit further away from it. Wow. Um, I remember it was one time where I was thinking that because there was times where I would always um, like have that moment where I just 
does an activity or something that's going to arise um, or an event and then I have the fear or does that come in? And sometimes there was actually a time that I remember where I was like, Joyce, just jot it down. Write down what your fear is and then write down what you're going to do to tackle it and then write down the results of like what you did. Um, and it's interesting that you say that because it has helped, but sometimes I feel for me, I may do certain things that may help me, but there's times where I find it hard to continue doing that good thing. Um, but I just have a question as well. Um, in regards to student life, um, there's times where a, the lecturer would propose like a, an assignment that will be coming up. Um, and so A, B, C, right? <laughs> this, this A is the assignment. B, the fears and doubts. Oh, will I be able to submit in time? Um, all, all these like, concerns. Um, there's times where I don't know why it happens, if you can maybe um, explain, um, but there's times where I would do the work and then do the work up until like the last minute, right? And I'd feel the nerves, I'd feel anxious, and it's not a great feeling, but the pressure. It pushes me through and I tell myself, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it again. And then there's times where I find myself constantly in that situation. Do you know what, like, is there, like, what is behind that? Because I, I feel the anxiety and it doesn't feel great, but I accomplish the work. Well, you've kind of just um, named our title, really, haven't you? You make your anxiety useful. The energy carries you right through to the end. What I hear from you is that the anxiety feels so uncomfortable, and it does, doesn't it? The belly drops, the heart races, the breath might get fast. Maybe you're not sleeping very well. Maybe you're not eating very well. You know, maybe you're not doing the usual joyful things that you'd like to do because you've got this nag on your shoulder of this thing that's got to do, you've got to do that you keep putting off. But that's also a habit. You've got into the pattern of waiting until the very last minute, storing up all that anxious energy, and then you zone in and you get it done. And what I heard was also you'd like to do it differently so that you don't have that anxiety for so long. And what's interesting about that is you mentioned it earlier, actually, about you kind of are all right for a bit and then you stop. You, get, you start to create a new habit and then you stop. There's um, a coaching model. Um, um, by, um, I think it's Miller and Rolnick do motivational um, interviewing and um, Norcross who developed something called a change process. And there are six stages to this change process in terms of reaching your goals. And we can do all the planning and the talking and the preparing and we can take little steps. And CBT, for instance, would also have a little bit of exposure therapy. Maybe you try little steps to doing things. But we always fall down on number five, which is the maintenance. <laughs> so we feel like we've cracked it and then we kind of forget about it until next time. Whereas actually, if you do, you know, a little bit of your assignment, a little bit of a time, you know, then maybe that helps with the anxiety easing because it's not left till the last minute. So, but that's a very human trait. And what I want to say is, Joyce, if that works for you, is that not okay? It's true. It's true. And the thing is, I always thought, is it just me? 
But I realized that there's other students as well that are in that same situation and it works. But it's like, should I be scared that it works at such a last minute? <laughs> um, but it gets the work done. Exactly. And I think that question, should I be scared that I'm leaving it till the last minute and it works? Just notice that because you've added in another narrative and that's, that's not unusual at all. It's very, very common. And that should. Should I be doing something different? I think we're living in an age where we're told how to do it, you know, what to do it with, what time things should be done. You know, we, we, we're given this prescription in a way on how to live. Whereas actually, if we forget the prescription and look about how we are actually living, what is my lived experience and what works for me? And actually, if it's not working, what am I going to do to change it? We bring the power back to ourselves. And, you know, fear arises in the body often because we feel powerless and scared. So how do we empower ourselves? We take that breath. We step back. We look at the situation. What can be done differently? Maybe I need to alter my expectations. You know, I had, um, when I was um, 18, my first job was um, in the NHS. And um, I remember walking past my boss's door and um, a member of Stafford was just walking into his office and he says, John, I've got a problem. And John, the manager, you know, said, Ralph, there are no problems. There are only situations. And that stayed with me for, what, 42 years, you know. And I think if we can feel anxiety in that way, that actually this is a situation, my body is informing me of something. So something's scaring me. Why is it scaring me? What narrative am I bringing in? And also often something really matters. It matters that the essay gets done. It matters that you do a good job with your essay. You want to, you want to achieve. So it has a really big impact on how your life is going. Wow. You mentioned before that all of us suffer with anxiety, um, which is something that, again, like I, I didn't realise. Um, my question for you is, there's times where I would only kind of put anxiety or place anxiety with um, students, right? But I wouldn't think that individuals in like authoritative roles like uh, teachers or lecturers or counsellors or policemen would suffer with anxiety or experience anxiety and I don't know why I put that invisible like maybe because the roles are just authoritative and um, figures but can I ask if we all experience anxiety how is it that you how would it pop up for you in like your role in your workplace? Okay well I mean it's popped up today you know, so I was awake at half two this morning thinking, oh, I need to remember to say this, this and this. And of course, I don't need to remember because actually this is a flowing conversation. But you can hear the pressure that was I placed upon myself with just that narrative. But it, it pops up in all kinds of places if I get frightened. So in my work, I might be fearful for a student. I might be fearful about my performance in a meeting. I might come away from a meeting and think, oh, I don't know if I said the right thing there. Or, oh, no, this is what I should have said. 
You know, I have no doubt that in my drive home today after this recording, I will be thinking all the things that I wanted to say and feel that I should have said. And oh my goodness, what I have actually said is probably a load of rubbish. And that's the other thing. Hear the little criticism in there? Not only am I scared, I'm now going to criticise myself for being scared. And so anxiety is this perpetual cycle if we don't break it. And what are some myths like surrounding anxiety that you see and you're like, totally not true? Myths? Um, Oh, I don't know. I don't, I I have no idea. What myths have you heard? Give me an example. For, um, for me, um, I just, I just would i don't know where i received this from but i would just think that um anxiety was just this full-blown like i would just think panic attack that's it anxiety or um it it was always anxiety was always kind of exaggerated for me it wasn't like um, an experience okay so i guess maybe if we dispense with the word myth for a minute and look at descriptions because i think that might be a better word How are we describing anxiety? So if I say I have anxiety, I'm kind of describing something that has come from the outside and been placed upon me. If I am taking medication, then I might think it's an illness. Anxiety is not an illness. Debilitating it may be and medication may help if it's extreme, but it is not an illness. It's part of our everyday life and some of it is inbuilt. It is innate for human beings to be frightened of falling, for instance. You know, that's just inbuilt. But most of our other anxieties are kind of what we'd call adaptive. We learn, like the child putting the hand in the fire, we learn fears and then we we build upon them. So I think the narratives that we have around the subject of anxiety and the experience of anxiety is, is really important. And it's interesting when you asked earlier about how do people in authority Are they experiencing anxiety? Yeah, somewhere in their lives, there is something that they're scared of. And if we remember that anxiety is fear, we're all scared of something. And we don't know we're scared of it sometimes until it comes up. Yeah, unless we've had a bad experience. If I've had been involved in a car accident, then maybe I'm going to start to get really scared about getting back in a car. And if I don't get back in the car, maybe I start, you know, adding to the narrative and it gets really, really big. Till in the end, it's, you know, I'm scared of cars and I can't watch cars going past my driveway, etc, etc. You can hear the narratives. Our task is to really explore these narratives. Be curious. You know, curiosity is so underestimated. Be curious about what is happening in your own body. What situation are you in? What can I do with that? What do I need? Often I'll need some support. What should students take away from this conversation on how to make anxiety productive? The first thing I would say is awareness. So something is happening in your experience that is alerting you that something matters. Something here is important. If it wasn't important, there's no need to be scared and you won't be having that battle going on. So awareness, breathe, calm the body down, calm the breathing down, check out your situation, seek support from a friend and write down thoughts, emotions, behaviours and alternatives. 
but I also want to offer something else. And it's a quote from David Bowie. Although it's not really a quote, I'm going to probably embellish it a little bit, but he says something along the lines of, you know, when you dip your toe in the water, go deep enough that your feet don't quite touch the floor. Get slightly out of your depth. So like you finishing your essay right at the very last moment, use that energy in the body that is adrenaline, that the anxiety is, you know, pushing up through the body because something really matters. This has great meaning for you. Use it. You're a creative human being. You're creating yourself even moment by moment. Push through it. Get slightly out of your depth and use that energy to find out who you're going to be next. Thanks for joining us today to talk about anxiety. If you've been affected by anything we've spoken about in this episode, please reach out to the Counselling and Wellbeing team. Make the most of the support that we can offer you. Visit aru.ac.uk forward slash wellbeing to find out more about our services and how to get in touch. Students also have access to the wellbeing workshops and there is one on anxiety, how to be with it and make it useful. Tune in next time for a discussion about eating disorders.